Hello, Dave. Hello, Ollie. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable 48. Sustainable 48. We are your friendly little environment podcast, all about why everything to do with saving the planet is confusing and can it not be please uh what have we got coming up this week then oh well dave we have got some babble of the highest order from the chocolatey people at lint um and that they've been talking about palm oil mm. you know palm like palm sunday mm? <laughs> yes good yes yep. yeah uh we've also got um a nasty inhoff um, which I'm going to have a little shout at you about because I think it's not fair. But anyway, this Inhoff is all to do with um, with beetles and trees. And either way, it's been making us a little cross. Ah. Yes, a palm, a little cross. Little cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've got some cheer, though. Um, people are being wonderfully silly and naming um, scientific research boats silly names. And they ha- they are they are nailing that on. They they it's nailed on humour. <laughs> oh that yeah, palm uh, little yes. cross nailed on. Sorry, mum, if you And and we've got an Antiochus this week. And you know how um, how Jesus gave a sermon, you know, from the mount, famously. Yes. He was so you could say he was a a man on a on a rock. Yes. Or or a, a fella on a rock. <laughs> Or a Rockefeller. Very good. Oh, yeah. Yes. So we're going to be talking about the Rockefeller lot. I've I've forgotten what it actually is we're talking about. I was concentrating so hard on that tortured pun. That's all jolly exciting, isn't it? Uh, We do work for environmental charities, but these are very much our own views. So if you get knocked off by anything we're about to say, please do climb all the way up to the top of the mound and take it up with Jesus. And don't go straight to God Almighty. Yes? Let's go. Sustainable of the week. Rabbit, 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 which is supposed to be green supposed and usually green. isn't, usually awful. Supposed to be, yeah, I was going to say supposedly and then I said supposed and it all went a bit odd. Uh, yes, so <laughs> this week is not so much Sustainable of the Week as Sustainable of the Season because it's Easter. The Easter ether. Mm. Yes, that's what it is. Um, and uh, what we have been looking at is we've been looking around for Babel with a Easter theme. And we started to look at, well, what's the thing? What's the, what's the thing that everyone gets given at Easter other than a couple of days off to fritter? Um, well, well, like chocolate eggs. Chocolate mm. eggs. Yeah, they do. Uh, except I haven't, no one's given me any chocolate eggs. But, you know, I'm sure everyone else is having fun with their chocolate Easter eggs. Have you been given any chocolate eggs or? Uh, I was given a bag of mini eggs, yeah, in the post, in fact, from my sister. So uh, now there is, um, as it is a truth universally acknowledged, that anything that universally. is nice. Universally. I've got a cold still. It is a truth universally acknowledged that anything nice um, is riddled with terribleness and will destroy the planet, right? And so it is with Easter eggs, which uh, some uh, people say kills the planet because it's got palm oil in it, or it can have palm oil in it anyway. Yes? What's wrong with palm oil, Well, 
nothing in and of itself. This is a crop, the oil palm, um, which produces fruit which have a lot of this oil in it. And it's very useful for cooking. It's good at lots of different temperatures. You can put it to make things nice and smooth and delicious and it's odour-free and all the rest of it. The problem is, as with many of these things, when people realise that it's very useful, has a very high yield, uh, they grow it in massive quantities in places where there used to be orangutans oh or, you know, trees that have been there for hundreds of years or lovely grasslands or whatever. As usual, some nasty, nasty, evil money bags people decide to have vast farms of the stuff and probably don't treat their workers very well, etc., etc. So it rapidly becomes a very, very bad thing for the planet. You know those big, nasty, horrible... Uh, very upsetting fires in Indonesia last year, which apparently has started again. Mm. Um, there is the suggestion that some of these were deliberately started by people who wanted to grow palm oil because while it's very expensive mm. and troublesome to just clear rainforest with a chainsaw and a load of people, it's a lot cheaper to do it by just burning it all down. And then when it's not there to be protected, you can just turn up and grow your palm oil. And uh, there were some fairly horrible pictures of the charred landscape already planted with little saplings of palm um, of oil palms growing in the in the remains. So, you know, nasty, nasty industry is all I wanted to say. So, what you can do is, if you are a concerned uh, cardigan wearing, guardian reading, yogurt knitting hippie, which I'm you are, fleece today. I'm in my <laughs> fleece today, Philip. Look at my fleece up. No, oh, goodness sake. Uh, what you can do is you can get guides and lists and things about palm oil. And apparently a thing that has happened since January of this year is you have to put onto your product's um, ingredients list, you have to say if they're palm oil or not. So that's a thing that's happened. Well, everything. Uh, apparently. Yeah, I, don't, I read that earlier. I didn't. I admit I, that had passed me by. So if that's not hmm. true, please write in and tell us. But apparently that is now the law. Law, breaking the law. Hmm. <laughs> Let's burn something. <laughs> Look, the ethical consumer do this list of uh, what Easter eggs have got palm oil in them and what are sort of good uh, companies and bad companies based on all sorts of stuff, like, you know, pay, pay their tax and fair trade and all that sort of thing. And um, I'm going to single one of them out because uh, they irritate me. And that company is called Lint. The stuff you get in your pocket. And Lint belly or your belly button, yeah. Uh, L-I-N-D-T what mm. is a Swiss company that have kind of tried to, in the same way that Coca-Cola has come to, you know, associate itself with Christmas insofar as it's got all the same colours and that thing that I thought was true that isn't true, that actually the reason that Father Christmas is red and white is because of Coca-Cola in the first place. Apparently that's not true. Um, but anyway, Lind have sort of increasingly tried to associate themselves with Easter, haven't they? With them bunnies that they make and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, all their adverts basically saying, it's Easter, that means you've got to eat our shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. Uh, yes, they have. And, well, in this, uh, this league table, a couple of years ago, 2013, um, ethical consumers said they came very, very bottom yes they were in the rele- not even in the relegation zone they were they were out of the league by february going straight to the conference for bad behavior and it looks a little bit like that's kind of stung them a bit um you know i think probably they were just happily banging on about their easter bunnies and raking in the profits before then but as people get a little bit more concerned about these things um perhaps their sales have been hit who knows 
But they've certainly been making noises about trying to get a little bit better and be nicer mm. bunnies. Um, and, well, we were having a little look on our website. Now, we must confess, this isn't a, like a press release from the last week or something, which ordinarily this section is concerned with things that have happened recently. But Easter's happened recently, and that is link enough, I think, to this particular little little link. So on their website, they said at some point in their recent past, well, Arabella, what did they say about their Easter eggs and their palm oil use? Only sustainable palm oil will be used for sustainable enjoyment from 2015 onwards. Customers can unhesitatingly enjoy all lint chocolates, whether filled or unfilled. Obviously, this is babble of the highest order, right? The idea that you can have, you know what, it's sustainable enjoyment and customers can unhesitatingly enjoy. Now, what do you think is implied by saying that customers can unhesitatingly enjoy something? Oh, uh, I'll be doing it really quickly without without thinking. Yeah, without needing to think. So you basically, yeah, yeah I, I do not hesitate. I have absolutely no reason whatsoever to consider that this may be anything other than perfect. I am just, therefore, going to bite off the ears of this chocolate bunny and smear it all over my face like some sort of upset five-year-old. Yeah, it's like when I unhesitatingly hit send on an email I've written to my boss at half twelve on a Saturday morning after coming in from the pub. Yes, it's a lot like that because you shouldn't ought to have done it, right? And maybe what shouldn't ought to have happened here is that Lint's consumers shouldn't ought to be so excited about uh, unhesitatingly eating this chocolate. Now, I am singling Lint out because of that, because that is babble. But what's going on here is a thing, this concept of sustainable palm oil, mm, right? Yeah. Um, what they are talking about is a thing called the Round Table on Sustainable Palm Oil. Yes. Yeah. So what RS- been a lot RSPO? Of these. That's, That's right. That is, yeah, there's it? been a lot of these round tables. It's certainly over the last sort of 10 years or so, it seemed to be the uh, in this sort of industry toolkit of how to respond to yogurt weavers getting upset about our product was to have a, a, a round table. Why it has to always have to be a round table, not an oblong table or a square table or just a table. Um, and then you just, whatever the thing is that is evidently not sustainable, you say, on sustainable that thing so there's a round table on um i think it's sustainable soya uh because people were getting all all upset about the you know how you have to chop down rainforest to grow lots of soy to feed livestock and something so they're like right better have a round table on that which includes people like monsanto and um uh is bayer in there no cargill you know, all of these big, big monsters of, of agribusiness are all in there being sustainable around their table. And a very similar thing is going on in here, I think. Yes. And um, the basically what it's coming for a lot of criticism, this this roundtable on sustainable palm oil. It's a thing done by the pandas at WWF. Um, and the reason it gets criticised is that it, firstly, it's all kind of voluntary. And so companies sign up to it and they say, yeah, we're going to join that thing. But it's not like the law or anything like that. And some people just say, well, you know, it should be the law. You shouldn't have these voluntary things. And you can, I guess, debate whether that is in itself a reason to be miffed at it. But there are broader things wrong with it. Like, basically, it isn't it doesn't say you can't, as I understand it, it doesn't say you can't go and chop down 
more trees. It's just that there's a sort of, there's like a high value foresty bit and then a sort of low value foresty bit. And the round Mm. table on sustainable thingy uh, just says, don't chop down any of the really, really precious habitats, but it's all right. It's all right to continue expanding, basically. It doesn't say Mm. that you can't sort of rapidly expand your palm oil plantations. It's just that you, you can't necessarily do it literally wherever you want, I think. So here's the thing. Oh, question. Yes. Okay. Um, oh, so uh, well, the question is this. Is it going to be a hard question? Uh, yes. The question oh. is um, this. It's a more of a, a philosophical question. It's a question about oh, Babel God. and the provenance thereof in the first place. It's basically about whether or not you think the following is cricket, right? Is it fair enough to have a thing that is a bunch of companies doing something? <laughs> you're going to say something very different then. <laughs> what? Bunch of companies. Oh, a bunch of companies. A bunch of companies getting together and saying, look, here's the thing we're going to do. And this thing is better than if we weren't doing this thing. Is that in it? Is that good? Should you applaud companies that are signing up to something which is, you know, more slightly better a palm oil? Should you sign and then banging on their website about how or their customers don't have to worry now about, you know, destroying orangutans and stuff because they're slightly better than they were before. Is that something that in general you should say, look, that's progress? Or should you bash any company that isn't doing absolutely the right thing all the time over the head with a stick? Because this is one of them debates and I want no, to know what you not. think. No, it's bollocks. It's not uh, bollocks. It's, no, it's bollocks. Question. Because it's not. It's pragmatism versus idealism. No, it's not because you're... Because the pragmatism you're describing there is nonsense. What is actually going on here is a, a bunch of... I mean, it, it, this, this Greenpeace report uh, describes what is the RSPO, and it says it's a voluntary association consisting of palm oil producers, processors and traders, consumer goods manufacturers, retailers, banks and investors, as well as some environmental and social non-governmental organisations. And it, they account, all of these members account for around 40% of global palm oil production, Right. But as of when this report was written, only 15% of palm oil was RSPO certified. So there's, you know, a whole bunch of the stuff that they're doing doesn't even meet their own standards. And the point is, there's no fallback because you can just say, it's all right, guys, we're part of this RSPO. We've got a nice certificate, we've got a nice stamp. I just feel, yeah, you just need some, you need some sort of independent monitoring, don't you? Yes, that's a boring answer. It is a very boring answer, yeah. yes. Uh, the, another way of looking at it is that you should just go around and set fire to the building of any company that doesn't only make hemp. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's basically what you're saying. No, it's is not that what unless, I'm saying. unless unless you unless uh, that, unless what your company oi, headquarters are listen. powered oi, by Oi, what? Oi. Shut up and listen. Mm. What I'm saying is if you're if you're really really committed to doing stuff better, yes. yeah, to not killing orangutans. Yes. Then your primary concern is how do we actually not kill orangutans? And then you would open yourself up. You would have complete transparency and you would allow people to go, look, you may not have meant this, but by employing this kind of subcontractor, you're actually destroying orangutans. And you go, oh, shit, sorry, uh, let's not do that. Whereas their primary goal of anyone involved in this, um, in this whatever it's called, certification system is to have a nice bit of pro-green, sustainably branding so that hippies, the less informed hippies, uh, go, oh, good, I can buy this one, it's safe. And their bottom line increases. That's all they're interested in, surely. In half of the week. So... 
So, Inhoff time. This is the section of the show. Oh, 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 can I do it this time? Can I do it this time? Can I have a go? Uh, I suppose so. So, uh, this is the section of the show named after an American senator called Jim Inhoff, who is yeah. a mm. weasel. A weasel? It's a weasel. Not a stoke. No, not a stoke. He's a weasel. He's, he's weaselly the worst person in American politics. <laughs> Is that what? Is that it? Is that why you wanted to do this section? No, no, it isn't actually. Um, shut up and listen. I'll tell you why I wanted to do this section. Yeah. So, and um, this week, the reason I want to do this is because the Inhoff is all your fault. Basically, the Inhoff is you. You are the Inhoff. Are you putting me in Inhoff Corner? Well, yes. Yeah, I've decided. That wasn't what I was going to do. But yes, I am now. I've decided. Yes, you're in Inhoff Corner. Get in Inhoff Corner and be roundly spanked in the bottom. Oh, you are awful. But I like you. <laughs> I tell you why. Where's that book? Get that book out. Where's oh, this book? book. My favourite yes. book ever. Yes, yeah. your favourite book ever. Tell the class what your favourite book ever is. My favourite book ever is a book called An Inordinate Fondness for Beatles. And it is by Arthur V. Evans and Charles L. Bellamy. And it's one of the most beautiful constructions of pulped paper you'll ever see in your life. What's it about? Beatles, isn't it? What about them? Everything, absolutely everything about Beatles. And it takes its, its title from a, a, a quote. Uh, when asked what could be inferred about the work of the creator, see, see, we've got another, another bit of the bloody Easter theme here, uh, yeah. from a study of his works, um, the British scientist J.B.S. Haldane is reported to have replied an inordinate fondness for Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. So people were saying, you know, what what was God all, you know, what was God, God really getting at? And it's like, well, Beatles, because they're everywhere. Um, and so this Beatles, book is wonderful. Uh, why, why am I talking about this book again? I, I feel like I'm. You're talking lost. about this book because the actual resident of Inhoff Corner this week is Beatles. No. Right? I am no, no, putting. No, 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 no. I am no, putting. I no. Shut up. I'm in charge of Inhoff Corner this week and I'm putting Beatles into it, right? Because Beatles. In, in the week that George Martin died, I mean, have you. Have you no respect? The, uh, no, the beetle that's going in is called the Emerald Ash Borer Beetle. And it is a shit. <laughs> oh, dear. Go on then, tell the class why the Borer Beetle's being a bore. Because it's killing all the trees. It's going to kill all the trees. Do you know what an ash tree is? Going to or is? All right, isn't yet. It is going to kill all the trees. Do you know what an ash tree is? Yes, although I probably wouldn't be able to identify it. I'm so rubbish at trees. Every New Year's Day, I go, this year I'm going to learn about trees. But basically, if it isn't an oak or a sycamore, I'm, I'm screwed. That's what you do every New Year's Day, is it? Well, you know, you have a New Year's resolution, don't you? Beginning of most years, and you go right this year. I'm going to learn about trees. Really, you are. You know, I accuse you of being a hippie. Yeah. You know, sometimes that's like a bit of a laughy joke. Ha ha. You actually are a massive hippie, aren't you? You know what my New Year's resolution this year was? Uh, Not cry so much. Not cry so much. How much yeah. do you cry? Less. Good resolution so far. Going well. Fancy stuff. Oh, puff. The magic so uh, this is all about a thing called uh, ash 
die back, really, is what's going on here. And there was a study that came out um, last week saying that the ash tree, which is, a, you would recognise them, any sort of English forest, particularly in, you know, particularly key parts like around like the southwest where I used to live, but all over the place. The ash tree is very, very, very common. Very hardwood, good for fires, apparently, as well, but that's a separate mm. thing, um, is being uh, really in trouble. So this study basically said, uh, published in the Journal of Ecology, and it said the British countryside is never going to look the same because the ash tree is going to be wiped out yeah. in Europe. Now, the main cause of this is not the horrible little emerald ash borer beetle yet, but hang on and listen. It is a thing called uh, ash dieback. It is, it is. And it first otherwise, came to... Uh, sorry, Ooh. otherwise known as Kalara, dieback of ash. Mm. It. Uh, there was a lot of press around this at the time, actually. It first came to prominence uh, the back end of 2012. Um, and, it, you know, as ever, it, show, it revealed that actually officials and government knew this was a massive problem, were doing nothing about it. Um, and the disease first came over to the UK, apparently with some imported trees um, that were that were brought into a nursery, uh, not not a, not a children's immigrant nursery. trees. Yes, exactly. Immigrant trees. Dave. Is this Europe? Is this Europe it coming is. over here and killing yeah. all our ash? Absolutely. Yeah. And people are likening it to Dutch elm disease. Bloody Dutch. Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> See right. another one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which apparently, I mean, this is kind of before I was really. Conscious uh, and around, but apparently well, sort of eight o'clock this morning. Yeah, very good. You led. This apparently changed the face of the British countryside then because the elm was very prevalent and isn't now. And um, yeah, according to a blog I wrote in March, uh, in March, in November two thousand and twelve, uh, basically March. Uh, <laughs> it may as well have been. Uh, apparently, eighty million trees in the UK are threatened by this disease, so it's very, very hang bad. On, hang on a minute. What? According to a blog you wrote, yeah, does this mean you know about this? No, it means I wrote a blog about it uh, ah. three and a half years ago. So, um, ash dieback will probably kill ninety-five percent of the trees, but the emerald ash borer beetle which is actually not from europe but is from asia although it's currently heading over europe it's currently in moscow making its way as far as sweden at 25 miles a year pretty much which is just about as fast as you um <laughs> that'll do <laughs> for the, the speed rest of, of one of those electric cars isn't it roughly it is pretty much yeah that'll do for the rest of it um it will it, the, the beetles feed on the ash trees um but that which is fine in itself but then they lay eggs and the eggs go under yeah. the bark and then kill the tree Lovely. so basically Lovely. that's it you're wonderful it. beetles you won't hear a word against beetles beetles are nice beetles are full of spice beetles are amazing let's put beetles on a pedestal and anoint them lord beetle almighty you love beetles right well the beetles are going to kill the blinking trees what do you got to say about that well i'm going to say about that Let's not worry so much about the 5% of trees that are going to get killed by the beetles and their larvae. Let's worry a little bit more about the 95% which are going to get killed by this d- disease which has been imported. All right? Just le- why why go after the beetle? It's like saying, you know, oh look, the uh, the hell's angels have turned up and decked an entire community of people, uh, leaving only one of them standing. Uh, and he's only standing because he, he, like, you know, he managed to hide under a fallen barn door. But then uh, a snake came along and bit it in the ankle, and he's like, naughty snake, naughty snake. It's not the beetle's fault, is it? I mean, it's just you know, just doing its beetly thing. I 
I do just want to say this thing about the Ash dieback, though, before we finish this section, which did amuse me. In 2013, Daily Mail reported this, but it does seem kind of fair enough. In 2013, when Ash dieback first got, um, you know, it was a thing when you wrote your blog, um, there was around about sort of November time, there was this great big flurry of people calling up the Ash dieback hotline, because there is such a thing, saying, oh, I've seen loads of Ash dieback, and all it was is just winter. Yeah. It's just the, it's just the leaves falling off the trees. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. We're not we going to get ourselves out of this hole if that is a standard <laughs> of human intelligence. Then again, that reminds me of the thing that I did when um, there was a tree in my garden where I used to live which started flowering in January, and I took to social media with pictures of this thing saying, look, it's climate change, until someone pointed out it was a January flowering cherry tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... You know, yeah, well, it's still stands. evidence of something. <laughs> I'm still angry and I'm still on Twitter. Anti-Inhoff of the Week. So, Anti-Inhoff time for every Beatle and all. There is, of course, an equal and opposite anti-Beatle and anti-all. Uh, people have been doing good things, and sometimes it's surprising people, and I think there's an element of surprise about this week's anti-Inhoff person, isn't there, Dave? Yeah, there is. So this is um, a Rockefeller, a whole bunch of Rockefellers. Um, mm. I wish I was called Dave Rockefeller. That's such a good name, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and there, y- your man John D. Rockefeller was the richest person in American history when he died in 1937, and do you know where he made all his money from? Oh. Uh, fossil fuels. Right. In particular. Oil. Oil, that's Mm. right. So he was a massive great oil baron, made galumphing great wadges of dollar out of oil. And uh, he made a company called Standard Oil, which then later on became a company called ExxonMobil, which I Mm. did not know, but I know that now. I didn't know um, that either, but we've all heard of Exxon if we hadn't heard of Standard, certainly. Indeed we have. And go back and listen to episode 27 for more on ExxonMobil. And that's relevant because this week, one of the funds that uh, his family, basically they took all his big watch and they continue to be very rich and live in palatial surroundings and have swimming pools and, you know, skim weasels across the water and that sort of <laughs> stuff. But they, one and of the things... the Rockefeller building in New York. You been in the that? Uh, I have not. And one of the things that he did, apart from build the Rockefeller Center, was uh, his family made these charitable foundations, which do things, invest his money philanthropically. Um, And last year, one of the foundations, the Rockefeller Brothers, uh, pulled out all of its money from oil and... Cross, yes, very good. Where you can get your suits from, um, and pulled out all their money from oil and gas, saying uh, we climate change is bad. We don't want to invest in that no more. Which is a kind of you know it was noted as a historical irony, given where all that money come from mm-hmm. in the first place. Well, last week another one of these charitable funds also pulled all its money out. This is the Rockefeller Family Fund. Said it would divest all of its money from fossil fuel holdings. As quickly as possible. How was that quote? What did they actually say about it? Well, it's pretty amazing. They said, bearing in mind, as you say, this is a fortune built on fossil fuels. Now they now say, there is no sane rationale for companies to continue to explore for new sources of hydrocarbons. Crikey. 
which is true, if I can bore you with a little bit of maths for a second here. Um, oh, so do. the world uh, can only burn 535 gigatons of, uh, of carbon dioxide if it is to stay to the 1.5 degrees limit that has been set up by the some Paris Agreement sexy on numbers climate right there. change. Um, however, all of the world's known oil and gas companies currently already hold two and a half thousand uh, gigatons of uh, carbon dioxide. So there's already f- like four, what's that, five times more uh, planet warming oil and gas held by companies already than we can burn. And then a mm. lot of them are going out looking for more. It's a bit of a weird world, isn't it? When you and I first started working on climate changey stuff a while back, I'm not sure we would have thought quite so soon you'd have had the governor of the Bank of England, the president mm. of the United States and mm. the Rockefeller Foundation all essentially saying the same thing, which is we ought to not burn those fossil fuels that we've found. And the other thing that I don't think you would have believed would have been said is that the Rockefeller Foundation, which was a precursor, a Rockefeller you know, standard oil precursor of ExxonMobil, would have a pop at ExxonMobil. Ah, yeah, and which is why they're in Andy Inhofe Corner, isn't it? Particularly, indeed, because yeah. they said um, we would be remiss, say the Rockefeller Family Fund, if we failed to focus on what we believe to be the morally reprehensible conduct on the part of ExxonMobil. Evidence appears to suggest that the company worked since the 1980s to confuse the public about climate change, while spending millions to fortify itself against climate change's destructive consequences. Um, which is uh, very interesting, isn't it? So they're basically saying, not only are we pulling out, but that their company that we are sort of, you know, umbilically connected to historically, are a bunch of tow rags. And that is connected to the fact, we talked about this in episode 27, um, that there's currently a the California... Uh, legal system is currently taking ExxonMobil through the ringer because they it is claimed that they knew loads of stuff about climate change and suppressed it and uh, mm. indeed actively they funded knew. they knew they all that, didn't they? Knew. and actively funded um, misinformation campaigns yeah. and stuff allegedly Allegedly, 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 don't sue us, even though there's nothing to sue. Don't sue us. Chill out, Exxon. God. Uh, anyway, they're not um, they're not thrilled about this, Exxon, are they? Um, no. A spokesman said to CNBC, it's not surprising that they, as in the Rockefeller Family Foundation, are divesting from the company since they're already funding a conspiracy against us. A conspiracy, yes. Clearly that's what's happening. All The world is ganging up on ExxonMobil, awesome. having a go at them, at these poor little souls, merrily being one of the richest companies in the world, making lots of money out of oil and gas. Aren't we beasts? One little tiny piffling thing to say on this. Yes. Um, so you're talking about the uh, the Rockefeller Family Foundation, yes. yeah? Uh, uh, which is different from the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation, Rock Bros. Rock Bros. Which is also different from the Rockefeller Foundation, um, which, as this article in our favourite newspaper uh, says and points out, uh, their endowment, endowment, endowment tops four billion. It's a lot mm-hmm. of endowment. Yeah, which is, which is a lot bigger than RFF and RBF. And apparently they're opposed to divestment for now. So uh, not all rosy in the Rockefeller garden. Reasons to be cheerful. So reasons to be cheerful. Yay. This hasn't been one of our gloomiest episodes. I mean, we've only talked about all the orangutans dying. Mm-hmm. And the trees dying. And what? 
All the trees dying as well. All the trees dying, and apparently you want to put beetles in enough corner. But even so, not one of our gloomiest ones. Nevertheless, we still need some cheer. And this week, there is some nailed-on cheer from, well, from the sort of British sense of humour, really. Uh, You probably saw this, and it's, um, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. For some reason, known only to themselves... The Natural Environmental Research Council decided not to just name their new swanky new sciencey researchy shit, you which know, is whatever. to go, which is to go to the to the to the polls and do research into like climate change and stuff. This is why we're allowed to talk about it. So this is a this is a climate changey vesselly researchy boat thing, which is pretty much exactly how people have responded to this crowdsourcing competition to find a name for it. Um, you know, hopefully they were they were expecting things like Arctic Explorer yes, seventeen or sturdy you know, weapon. <laughs> yeah, uh, HMS Dave. Uh, you know, at the very least. But instead, instead, the British public have, have responded in the way that only they know how. And currently, the the winning name is the RRS, the Royal Research Ship. Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> isn't, isn't that wonderful? So much. It's, it's winning by a lot as well. It's fantastic. It's so, so good. Um, apparently, apart from that leading contender, other ideas included It's Bloody Cold Here, the RRS <laughs> What Iceberg, uh, the RRS Big Metal Floaty Thingy Thing. Uh, my favourite is from someone called Sandeep Coratana, who put forward the idea of the RRS Sandeep Coratana. Which I like very, very much. <laughs> very good. Yeah, uh, it's just great, isn't it? And this is one of those. The reason this is a genuine reason to be cheerful, right? Because humans are generally beastly, awful, terrible things that are single-handedly destroying the only place in the world that we can live, and are only happy when they're surrounded by mountains of tap that they don't want. That's been bought to impress people that they don't like, right? But mm. sometimes we are capable of amazing, funny stuff, and there is a sort of resilient humour here that I think makes me think that maybe. We we might not completely ruin everything sometimes. Yeah. It does really warm the cockles, doesn't it? When everything gets a bit overwhelming, God, thank God we can laugh at it. It's really important. I just went on their website to see how the entries are going. And um, in third place is the RRS David Attenborough. You know, good suggestion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, 6,300 people have chosen that. Uh, second place is the RRS Henry Worldsley. On 84,629 <laughs> votes, it's the RRS Boaty McBoatface. I will. What should we do? If they actually name this ship and print it on the side and keep it there, we must pledge to do something. We will go down to the launch of the Boaty McBoatface and we will do an episode live from the dockside. However, they're not going to, right? Because they've they, got they, to. They're, they're not going got to. They, to. Got, they quite carefully bought themselves a bit of linguistic wiggle room by just asking people to suggest names. They, oh. they never promised they'd actually do it. And they've it's been. A bit- They've been quite careful. What you know, this whole thing is is, is worked out very nicely for them. Um, and indeed, if I didn't know better, I would suggest that the whole boaty boat face was an engineered thing by the uh, by NERC in the first place, the National uh, Environment Resources Council, well, because it's got everyone looking at their boat and going, "Aren't boats nice? Aren't boats pretty?" Um, whereas actually, you know, they are. I don't think never in any danger of calling their boat like boaty boat face. Unfortunately, well, they should be. Uh, it does remind me a little bit of an equally wonderful um, example of this sort of British humour, which is when uh, at some point in the uh, early 2000s, I think, the Spice Girls asked their fans where they, sh- they thought they should perform their tour-ending concert. 
Uh, and the overwhelming response was Baghdad. Uh, so, <laughs> similarly, they, they decided not to take their fans' recommendation um, to heart there. But I just think that's, that's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, why engage meaningfully on a subject when you can just take the piss? So that is just about it for this week's Babble number 48. We're rapidly approaching our 50th birthday. I'm so excited. We're going to have a party. We're going to have a party. Thank you as ever to the wonderful Dickie Moore for all of the twinkly bits at the beginning and the end and the middle of this podcast. And thank you to my little niece, Arabella, for so expertly reading out the Babblicious Babble. You can get in touch with us and tell us what you think of the show and the babble, what you heard, and all the stuff we probably got wrong. You can find us on Twitter at the Babble Wagon or drop us an email to hello at sustainababble.fish or find us on Facebook. Just search for Sustainababble. And if you like the babble, do tell your friends about it and do leave us a nice review on your podcasting medium of choice, please. Particularly iTunes. Yeah, that's the one in it. That's what it means, isn't it? Um, also, I would like to report that the Babel quiz team desperately needs new members because it was shocking. Um, and the people who were supposed to be on the Babel quiz team and didn't turn up, you know who you are. Right, Ol, I think we're nearly done. I will speak to you next week. Very good. Bye-bye. Bye! Hey, Ol, listen to this. Listen. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Fizzy. 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 Effervescent. It's amazing, isn't it? Is it?